As I mentioned this morning, very thankful to uh, be here as a family, and uh, thankful for all those who have mentioned that they're praying for me and the message. We weren't anticipating to be here this weekend, and then I was informed about the message and the theme. Um, so I ask for your forgiveness if some thoughts may seem disjointed or it seems that I didn't have enough time to prepare. That was the case. Um, so I ask that God's Spirit would speak this afternoon, and, and I know he can and he will. So with that, let's, let's pray this afternoon. Our Father in heaven, we give you all glory and praise for being the faithful Father in heaven and thankful for the redemptive work of Jesus in his life, in his example, and living a life, God, that you desire all your children to live, one that centers around you ruling our hearts. And this is only capable through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray this afternoon that as we're convicted about today, about the poor, the needy, the orphans, the widows, all those both physically and spiritually who cry out to you, God, we ask that you would help us to be able to see that more and to be used by you in a very special yet powerful way. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. For this afternoon's text, I'm, I'm going to just read a portion that is found in uh, two accounts of Isaiah. Uh, the first one is in Isaiah 42. And the second is what Brother Werner had referenced this morning in Isaiah 61. But I feel that they're also tied together. So a few verses from Isaiah 42, and then we'll flip to a few verses of Isaiah 61. Isaiah 42, and as we read, I'm I'm going to change the word from judgment to justice, because that's a part of the root word that is mentioned there, and it'll give a different feel for the verses as we read them too. So Isaiah 42, beginning at verse number one. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. And he shall bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. And the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth justice unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set justice in the earth. And the isles shall wait for his law, continuing at Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord in the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, 
that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. That concludes the text for this afternoon. As we've read this account, these words and messianic prophecies of Jesus, some of them we know very well. And this afternoon, I'd like to continue building off Brother Werner's message. And as I sat in the audience, and I wasn't sure what Brother Werner was going to share, but there was something that sort of hit me. As he was reading off statistics and mentioning the things that are happening in this world, I realized that at some level it didn't matter much to me. And and I'd like to put that into context. He had mentioned that within his message, 200 people would die of hunger, children, if that. But I don't know who those children are. So it really doesn't affect me in my life. And so God was sharing with me in the benches, Adrian, how do you make this personal? How do you make the message of giving, of the poor, of the needy, of those who were to be used to reach out to with the gospel and also physical provisions, how can you do that if it's not personal? And so the question I asked this afternoon that we would think about is, after we heard this morning's message, who were we thinking about? Who are the men and women in our lives that we started thinking about who need our help, who need our prayers, Who need our finances? Who need our time? Who are those people? And if you weren't challenged this morning, the afternoon message will be the same. Who are these people? And how is that related to me? And is it personal enough? And so what I would like to share in that context In Windsor, we've been going through the Minor Prophets. The Lord has let it on my heart over the past year and a half to two years that God's people are a people who pray real prayer. That's who God's people have been since the beginning of time and will be till Jesus comes back. But God's people are also people who search him out, who read the scripture. And so God led me to the Minor Prophets on a journey I wasn't expecting, but I'm thankful for. And for those who know me, who know I'm not much of a reader, some of these chapters were the first time I had glanced them. And with that spiritual mindset and the Holy Spirit working in me, my eyes were open to many things that I had never come across. And so this afternoon, I'd like to share a portion of those things that I have learned that pertain to this topic that Brother Werner had shared and that the brothers and ministering body have felt compelled to share with the church as a whole. The story of of the prophets, both minor and major, actually begins with the establishment of the kingdom. And for many of us who know the Bible, the kingdom was established because men and women didn't want God to lead them. They wanted a man to lead them, just like the other kings. And so God said to Samuel, I will give them what they want. Well, we found out very quickly in the establishment of that kingdom that Saul didn't work out so well. And so God says, I'm going to put someone whose heart I know. And what happened is we have 
David, who enters the picture. And for anyone who knows David, there's words and terms that always come out in his life. Through the good and the bad that's come out from David's life, the thing that all of us will attest to is that he was a man after God's own heart. When he prayed to God, when he talked to God, when he lived for God, he wanted to love the things that God loved, and at the same time, he wanted to hate the things that God hate. And no one would question him. And even though he drifted in certain aspects, he still heard the prophets from God. He listened to their message because he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And that was God's intent that he would rule his people. So if he could speak through a king who loved him, who revered him, then he could still rule his people, even though there was a man in the middle. Well, what happened after David, his son Solomon was born, who established the temple. So the kingdom was established, the temple was established, and after that, the kingdom split into two. God's kingdom of his children had split. And for those who know the history, there was a northern kingdom, which was the kingdom of Israel that was ten nations, and the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. So it was Judah and Benjamin. These two kingdoms, the northern kingdom said, we want to do our own thing. And we're going to worship here. And they took men to worship with them. In the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah said, we're going to worship God where God says we need to worship. And so what happens is this kingdom splits off in this northern kingdom. When you start reading these prophets, they have a problem. In time of prosperity, they started neglecting the poor. Not only neglecting the poor but oppressing the poor. And you can read some of it in in Amos. Amos chapter 4. He says like this, Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, in which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. As I began to read this, something I was noticing. If you read on David, and you look how he interacted and how he lived in the Psalms that he wrote, in your search engines, in your phone, type in the word poor or needy and see how many examples come up in the book of Psalms. Verse after verse after verse. David knew what it was like to be poor and needy and be dependent on God. He could understand that, so he had a care for that. And if you look through his life, in a moment of prosperity, he went and looked out for Jonathan's family, the house of Saul, and he found Mephibosheth, an orphan, and he set him up. He looked for the needy. He looked for the poor because that was the heart of God. And he knew who God was. 
And now years later, as this kingdom split off, this kingdom wanted prosperity, as any kingdom would, as any church would, to grow, to be wealthy, to be healthy. But they didn't do it in a way that was God's way. They oppressed the poor. And specific details aren't given, but I can only imagine in today's time, how are the poor oppressed? Things become very expensive, taxes, heavy mortgages. You would hope someone would foreclose on a house and you could take it from them. And the wealthy control everything. And now these poor people, the many that they are, they belong to us. And what happened is the northern kingdom, as they started developing, drifting away from God, ignoring the prophets, they left out the needy. They left out the poor. And instead, they used them for their own benefit. And God said, I have enough. And judgment came to this nation, and a part of that was because they knew not God. They didn't live after him. They didn't care about him. And this was a sign that they didn't know who God was, that they neglected the poor and the needy. And so as you read through the other minor prophets, the Lord then starts talking about, through the prophets, about a new kingdom. And that he wanted to establish a new kingdom that would have a righteous king, a kingdom that would live forever, because these kingdoms were crumbling God wanted a kingdom where he would rule the hearts of man, with a king who would fight and lead the way in grace and in truth, as we had read, who would reach out to the poor. The bruised reed he wouldn't oppress and break or blow out the little flicker, but he would try to support and encourage, to preach to the poor. And we see a little bit of that physical and spiritual intertwining there. This was supposed to be the kingdom that God really wanted to happen. And he looked and he showed their kingdom and said, look, this is not how it's supposed to be, but you know what? I have a better kingdom. A better kingdom that's coming with a better king, with a better purpose, with more energy. And it's not going to reach just to the Jewish nation, but it will be for all men. That's the kingdom that God started to speak about through his minor prophets. And as we start reading of those, we realize that more and more prophecies come out about Jesus. And we see how Jesus is the focus of these minor prophets in this kingdom that God will bring through the Messiah. So when Jesus came after the kingdoms fell, after the kingdoms were crumbled, Jesus came and we read in John chapter 1, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I didn't mention the southern kingdom, 
But the southern kingdom did the same thing as the northern kingdom over time. They also neglected the poor, the widow, and the needy. So we fast forward to Jesus, and we see how he approaches the poor and the needy. When we read about Jesus and the lepers, some came to him, but where did he go? He went out to them. What about those who were sick? We read about Bethesda. He went out to the pool that probably no one wanted to go to unless they were sickly or diseased. That's where he went. And we see the heart of the Father when they asked about Jesus, show us the Father. He says, you've been with me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we look at the life of Jesus, who you and I, brother and sister, are supposed to emulate, and we realize he went to the poor. He went to the needy. And it wasn't mentioned on this morning um, in the book of James, but James mentions it. He said, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath God not chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. For many of us who are first-generation Canadian, American, myself, second-generation, we hear stories of our parents and our grandparents. I didn't realize in my parents' house growing up, they didn't even have running water or electricity. And now I understand why we grew up while they told you all the time you made sure to clean up your plate and... You, every household in a European family, those plates were cleaned. I mean, we go to restaurants today and people are shocked that our plates are wiped with bread and everything because that's how we were taught, because it was personal to our parents. They knew what it was like to be hungry. They knew what it was like to be poor. So they can relate, and they could reach out at that level because they knew what it was like. And now we come to our society And we realize how difficult it is to relate to someone who's poor. There are a few peppered throughout our churches, maybe within our communities, maybe even our co-workers who deal with it. But we really don't know what it's like to deal with people today who are poor. Why? Because they don't sit here. They don't live next door to us. And now God says you can't be personal and understand unless you meet them at their level. Thank the Lord we have things in place like certain missionaries and the ones that you read outside. If we just said we're holding a collection today for missionaries, some would give. But now we put a name, a face, a location, and people are like, I've been there before. I know that need. In giving, you don't even think about giving. It's automatic because you've been at that level. When I look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, why did Jesus come to earth? Was it obligation? Was it duty? Because that's what he was supposed to do? Or was it because he made it personal? Because he knows each one of us individually and doesn't want us to be separated from him for life. And now you see what extent he went to for you and I. Why did we become Christians? 
because of duty, because of membership, or did we come because we wanted to be personally known with Jesus? We wanted him to take full control of our life. When you make things personal, things change. When you have a friend who goes through, who loses a spouse, you now know what it like, it's like to have someone who is a widow, just a little bit closer. When you have a family member, a parent who loses a spouse, it hits you on a deep level. And next thing you know, you start having a care for something that you never had before. When you go downtown and you see homeless people, it's easy to stand away, but until you start talking with people and eating with people and you see their need, do you really start to feel sorry for them? And your heart starts to bleed for these people because you realize they have a soul, that they need something. And the poor people are special. The orphans and the widows are special to God. And when James says you need to care for them, it's because they have no one else to care for them. Nobody else. They only have God to care for them. And that's why when James says it's, it's the poor people who are rich in faith, these are the people who've had to depend on God in everything. And sometimes we should almost pray to become poor just so we would know what it's like again. Not saying that we need to be. But I think God needs to show us that we live in a prosperous time. And that's good for other good things. But sometimes we forget or we do the bare minimum. And so that's the challenge that I think is presented today. How do we reach the poor? How do we reach the needy? How do we do that both physically and spiritually? And spiritually, I think we do a good job. Can always do better for sure. But I think physically we can do more work. It starts, first of all, by having a heart after God, which I think all of us would not be here or listening online if we didn't have a heart after God. The second thing you and I need to do is to pray to God, not to God show me where I need to be, but God throw me where I need to be. The opportunities around us are endless. So it's not, God, well, show me where's that special place where I need to be. We need to start somewhere. And it has to start with that step of faith. I know for myself, in one area of my life, um, when we used to cross the border, and I still do for work, see a lot of homeless people. And I remember many years ago, it would start off with me just cracking the window and sliding the dollar bill through the window and then putting it up and... Good job, Adrian. You were a great Christian today. That's how it felt. And then God says, that's it? And so little by little, I would pray to God for opportunities, and God would give me similar opportunities that I've shared here about the man under the bridge. A lot of different opportunities. And the next thing you know, it came to rolling down a window and blessing someone. Because I realized sometimes financially, that's not enough. They need to hear about Jesus. Then it came to buying them a meal and spending time with them. Then it came to actually praying with them right then and there. It couldn't have started right away. God had to work in me and build in me and grow that need and that desire to see that there's people who are lost. And it starts off with that physical provision, but the deeper part is the spiritual provision. 
But that's awkward for us. That is uncomfortable. And that's okay. That's okay for us to feel out of our comfort zone. You think Jesus was comfortable talking to lepers, knowing he's going to go back in the city and the Pharisees are going to ridicule him and discount his example? For sure it felt uncomfortable. You think it was comfortable for him to jump on a boat and sail with his disciples who are crowding in fear to relieve someone of demons inside of him? That must have been terrible for him. It must have felt odd. But it was personal to him. The people had a name. They had a face. And because they were personal, it was important. It had value. And that's the heart of the Father that starts to come out. And so we, as brothers and sisters, we need to start off. Thank God we give financially. But if it's on auto pay, I'm separated from God now. It's just pulled out of my bank account. Maybe it is one lump sum. Maybe it is a small port. Maybe it's something else. It'll change. It'll grow. It'll look different at different times for different people. It doesn't mean everyone's going to run downtown and start talking to the homeless people and handing them out and having meals. That's not going to happen, although it'd be great if it did. But it'll look different for each one of us. And then God will say, excellent, you've started off small, keep going. And that's how faith grows. Because God opens our eyes to more and more things and we become stronger and more bold where now you don't feel ashamed to just walk up to a homeless person and ask them, do you believe in Jesus? You know, I was poor once. I was wretched once. I was ugly. I felt I had no life in me. And Jesus gave me life. And I want you to have that same thing. That all takes time. That all takes power and encouragement. And there are going to be times where you slip up and fall just like I've had. And you kick yourself saying this was a great opportunity for to help someone out either physically or spiritually, the poor of this world, and I didn't do it. And God said, that's fine, but you learn and you, we're going to give you another test. And that's how we grow in faith. That's where we drive to prayer even more. That's where we say, God, work through me. Because then it gets exciting. These brothers and sisters who partake in missions, it becomes exciting for them. Where you start thinking about how much money now can I give away without my wife or spouse yelling at me, my husband. I don't want to be, I know sometimes Bethany gets upset. I don't mean that, but the spouse could get upset. I need to give. Why did you give that bonus away? Why do we need it? Give it to someone. Why did you spend all that time doing that? Because they needed it. I didn't need it. Because giving is exciting when you know who you're giving it to. When you know that his brother Werner, when he read Jesus saying, I was naked, you clothed me. I was in prison, I was sick, and you came to me. And the people, it was interesting if the response, when did we do this? It wasn't out of duty or obligation that these people did it, or else they would have remembered it, because they would have checked that box. But it was the desire of their heart that wherever they were, whenever they were, they would do it. It became second nature. It was like breathing, the Holy Spirit working through them, that it was like, oh, you meant that? Oh, you meant that? This was normal for a Christian to do. These were the ones that Jesus came to. The poor of this world, the one who depend on him for everything. 
Just like you and I, brother and sister, we depend on him for everything. And now we've been given. We've been, maybe not finances, maybe not health, and maybe it's like the poor widow with two mites, and maybe God's telling you, you can't do much, but you can pray specifically for these things till your very last breath. And that does more than we could ever imagine. And God says, oh, you're blessed financially, you can give more. Oh, you're healthy, go travel. Oh, you're single, go get involved. And we don't have excuses because we all can do things. And then we get excited when we do it together. And praise God, there are things that we can as a church collectively put together and do. Because it's sad about those 200 people who died that I have no clue who they are. But God knows who they are. And if it hurts God, it should hurt me. Bethy and I this past week went to just get away a little bit, and we were at a place that was a graveyard. And the graveyard was part of a home that were for the rejects of society. And what I mean by that, I don't mean that in a negative way, but they were people that couldn't be taken care of by their family, who were ostracized by society, who had physical or mental disabilities, and they were outcasts. And this cemetery was for approximately 270 people that had no one to claim them. No family that wanted anything to do with them, and they were just buried in an empty lot. And then I think there are people like that today. God knows who those 270 are. He knows them by name. He knows the very hairs on their head. And God says, anybody could have known them if they would have put themselves out there, if they were willing to have the heart of Jesus and go out. And that's the kingdom that Jesus came to prepare. That's the kingdom that he brought with him. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, it's here today. And as citizens of that kingdom, with our king leading the way and the Holy Spirit motivating us, great things happen in this kingdom. So my prayer is, is that when we leave this place, that we would make it personal. And if we make it personal, God can work. God can flow. And God can do amazing things. And yes, it might start off small. We might fail. We might do things incorrectly. But if I have that desire, God will bless it and will be blessed because we draw closer to our Father in heaven. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him and say, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee? Or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, 
Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Amen.